Time travel, sci-fi adventures, and risky rolls of the dice lie ahead. Hello and welcome to Anywhere But Now, a Doctor Who actual play podcast. I'm your host and GM, Casey Jones. The next hour or so hold a thrilling adventure in time and space, so let's dive in. With me is the daring crew of our time-traveling machine. Playing the fixer is the ever-resourceful Brandasorio. Hi, Brand! Hello, hello. And joining him is Maeve Sullivan, played by the ebullient Kate McCoyne. Welcome back, Kate. Hi there. Last but certainly not least, finishing the TARDIS team is Pandora Beatrix as the unpredictable Calamity Hap. Hi. Howdy, howdy. And joining us today as our first official return guest star is Jack Shear as the inevitable Trip Shine. Hi, everybody. Oh, you all excited? You feel that energy? We play with the second edition of Cubicle 7's Doctor Who rulebooks. House rules mean our players begin the game with five, count them five story points each. In effort to make the game more challenging, we're going to be dialing back on giving out those tasty, tasty story points. Players, you have been warned. Get ready for a collaborative, immersive storytelling experience, because that's what I brought to tables for over 10 years. Instead of a legendary hero who's defeated the Daleks and Cybermen hundreds of times, our intrepid fixer is still in his first incarnation. A bigger on the inside thank you to our listeners. Time is truly a gift, or it wouldn't be the present. We thank you for spending yours with us. If you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter at AnywhereButNow underscore at the end. Links to everything in the doobly-doo. Stick around after the game for interviews with the players. This fine TARDIS crew have no idea what they're heading into. For today's adventure, they have not been told so much as the title of the mod. Until now, that is. Welcome to Hard Time. Brought to you wherever you're listening in time and space, this is Anywhere But Now. Some temporal housekeeping. You guys have now successfully survived a place for hungry minds. Calamity is now the proud owner of a working cattle prod. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want that to be an unwelcome surprise for our listeners. The time we had together on a place for hungry minds was so fun. And Calamity's natural, not quite kleptomania, the magpie quality that is Calamity Hap. So yeah, she's got a cattle prod now. Interior. The TARDIS console room. The TARDIS once pristine glass console is now fully lived in, with post-its covering half the controls. Small mementos of recent adventures litter a corner of the space that is Calamities, the way stickers decorate a steamer trunk as it collects stories one incredible mishap at a time. Lights are dim this time of time on the TARDIS. All brave companions need their sleep. The fixer, however, looms over the console, Eyes alight on data he scanned over a hundred times from an unruly encounter in New Key. Fixer, you have been reanalyzing and reanalyzing the data following Trip Shine's emergency jump 
and have gotten nowhere. One of the advantages of the Vortex Manipulators is that they are light, quick, dirty travel. It's been described as a motorcycle running through traffic and therefore, you know, very hard to track and trace. The console has come back with yet another deep, deep, insubstantial results. Would you like to try again? But of course. This is going to be an ingenuity and technology role plus Time Lord training versus a difficulty of 24. Well, then tracking down Trip Shine is uh, very important for a couple of little ticks in the book. Let's spend at least uh, two story points to make sure we do a better job of tracking him down. We got a two and a four for a total of 14. You get nothing from the quantum analyzer, but a window. You have determined successfully Trip Shine leapt to the future inside of a particular quadrant of space. The window that he could have jumped into is somewhere approximately 25,000 years wide. Excellent. I mean, that's not that much to sift through. Uh, Immediately start looking around and see, is the auditor in his chair? You see that the auditor is a respectful distance behind you and looking rather flat-faced, a pneumatic time tube in one hand folded of his uh, arms across his chest. I have amazing news. Do tell. We may have tracked down Tripshine's location. Honestly, I'm, I'm very impressed. We got it down to a, a very, very small, small section of space. So the only question is, how are we going to track down this gentleman? The auditor just unscrews the lid and pulls out a tasteful scroll. Do not pursue Tripshine. What part of that precisely requires further explanation? So hear me out. Tripshine is either a rogue time agent, or he is working for something far more dangerous and far more deadly. And let's be honest, that guy is as handsome as he is deadly. The infallibility of your logic notwithstanding, has it occurred to you the program council has made these orders with some forethought? I know you're capable of incredible things, but he throws his hands together and just fishes into a pocket and starts cracking walnuts together as a sort of relaxing thing. Like, you've seen people, you know, take out a hard-boiled egg and start cracking it and start peeling off the shell. He does that, but with walnuts. He says, you know, this is absolutely no kind of commentary on your capabilities as an explorer of time and space. Crack, 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 crack. There are reasons we have been asked to avoid certain time zones and avoid species like the Daleks and the Cybermen and the Centaurans. Crack, crack, crack. Things can go very badly if we start breaking rules with a cavalier attitude. Crack, crack, crack. Crunch. Turn towards the console, look very sad for a moment, pull out the book, flip open to the page from when we first picked up Maeve, point at the tick marks on it, and say, Things like this don't fix themselves. Chef's kiss. There's a on the door of the TARDIS. I would like to remind you we are in deep space. So happy to extract myself from that conversation. I head right over to that door. (laughs) And you push through the doors in watch shop proper, dangling like a Christmas ornament on an invisible string outside the wood and glass doors is a small white glowing cube. Open the door. At some point in the doctoral program training, they covered the emergency psychic network 
that creates and sends these little hypercubes, these little tesseracts, these little glowing messages from a Time Lord in dire need of assistance. This is basically a traveling, self-perpetuating emergency hotline. This particular model hopping into your hands is cracked and the light inside is flickering inconsistently. Uh, it has undertaken extreme strain and stress. Well, you've seen some horrors, haven't you? These are psychic devices. Um, holding it in your hands give us an ingenuity and technology roll, plus two for Time Lord versus a roll of 12. Okay, we're looking at a uh, total of 16 with a three and a five on the dice. Before the message comes through, is there any way I can reach out, grab hold of the auditor to allow him to also experience this message as I do? He comes up behind you and talks about, we want you to be independent. It's important that you're able to think for yourselves. And that's when you put your hand on his forehead. <laughs> contact. Contact. Right, buddy, contact! You close your eyes. Out of silence comes a hiss of static. And from the hiss of static comes a pop and alarms going off in the background, and things that may or may not be on fire. You can hear the faint crackle of burnt electricity. The following voice uh, speaks directly mind to mind. Fixer! <coughs> I'm glad I hung on to your psychic contact number. There's no bloody way I'm going back to Gallifrey. <coughs> Wait, I'm in a wee bit of a pickle. I can use a spot of assistance, and if you can crack out, I'm in a spot of trouble on the corners. Oh, Mr. Fancykill with his working time machine. The voice fades out as you hear the clunk and hiss of someone grabbing a fire extinguisher and going to retreat to put out a small fire. You are holding the hypercube, courtesy of the Dodger an old friend of yours that jumped ship and dropped out of the doctoral program some time ago. The last time you heard him, he did not sound Scottish. He did not sound old, so you're not quite sure what the hell's going on, but you do have the impression of when and where he is contacting you from. Head right down the stairs and start collecting my wonderful companions. You reach Maeve's room first, because she was the first companion on, and the TARDIS gave her the next adjoining guest room. Gentle knock at the door? Uh, yeah? Something interesting just came down to us, and I wanted to get your input on it. You hear, like, a clatter as if Maeve just straight up rolled off the bed and is already, like, getting on her feet and opening drawers and stuff. Like, I'm on my way! Okay, um, can I meet you in the console room in a couple minutes? I'm just gonna change real fast. But of course. Head on to the next room. Knock on the door. Come in. Open the door, walk in. Calamity is just sitting there with a, um, a happy chance fun ball that's a Snackums prize. Um, in, as if she had just been spending time like repeatedly shaking it and looking at it. Is something happening? Yes, something very exciting, in fact. That's great. Everything is exciting. That's one of the things I love about you. While you have been gathering the companions, the auditor has gone to the console and started putting in information via time zone and coordinates. Thanks to you quickly having the thought to contact and share the information, he started putting in the coordinates with a low whistle. A dear old school chum of mine seems to have gotten themselves into a bit of a bind. I definitely want to go help them, 
I wanted to make sure that we're doing it in the best way possible. I'd, I'd hate to put anyone at risk. Whatever. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> you know, everywhere else we've traveled to, I went in with the assumption that we were going to be dealing with uh, mostly people on the up and up. And in most cases, that was the case. I didn't feel like we were putting you at risk. That's why I want to make this distinction. The Dodger is brilliant, but has a bit of a perchance for finding trouble in places. When they go bad, they could go very bad. Calamity gets very excited at, at very bad. I mean, we've been in danger before, right? So we'll be fine this time. Sure. Yes. Maeve, I, I know you always want to get the story, and I guarantee you that wherever the Dodgers found themselves, there is <laughs> there is definitely a story. The auditor tilts his head and he says, first rule of evading a trap is knowing it's a trap. That's true. We know we're going into a trap. The jaws are simply hinged and have not yet come <laughs> swinging down on us. If you're looking for us to sign a waiver or something, I'm fine with that. <laughs> is this about last time with the theme park? It was really scary nearly losing you. I am having the time of my life. This is what I want to be doing. If I go out, I don't want you brooding over me or putting me in your little book to fix. I'm fixed. This is where I want to be. Okay. If I go out, I want it to be as pretty an explosion as possible. Oh, yes, a pretty explosion would be wonderful. That's practically guaranteed with this lot. Gently lay my hand on the TARDIS console in a caressing fashion and say, we'll try to avoid that if we can. You hear a grateful gling, gling, gling of the bells. <laughs> Stepping over to the command console, upon activating the lever, hopefully we shall travel through time and space. <laughs> Ordinarily, the auditor like sticks, stays back or retreats to the chair to watch and not necessarily help pilot, but the screen that shows the this little red and glass watch shop hurtling itself through time and space through the vortex is getting closer to the actual fabric of the Technicolor tapestry. And you're getting closer and closer to a hole in that tapestry. Not an exit, but an actual hole. The fabric of time and space has been punched through. Not neatly either. If you've ever seen one of those whirlpool plastic shapes that you can drop a quarter in and it spins around and 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 closer and closer into the thing. You are flying the TARDIS into turbulence. This is going to be a difficult roll of 21 with your ingenuity and transportation and Time Lord and the auditor is going to assist because this is a tricky, tricky flight. As we are getting closer to reaching the edge of that hole, the TARDIS turbulence starts to increase. There are definite shutters going on. Now that is a very rare and special thing to see. But I think we might have gotten caught in it. Whoops. That's great. Ended up rolling a uh, total of 11 with a 1 and a 2 on the dice. <laughs> okay. Can uh, Maeve help in any way as she has been taking some TARDIS flying lessons? Yes, please. <laughs> there are post-its all over the place because as hard as you try, it goes in one ear and out the other. You have not been able to retain any of the actual nuances of flying the quantum hydrometer or any of it. So it's all still very typing with two fingers as you're poking around. 
So you are going to be at a minus two, going to be ingenuity and uh, transportation. <laughs> I rolled a one and a two for a seven. With two ones in the roll so far, the auditor rolled an eight, and that's still not enough to get us, like, none of us have by ourselves rolled to counter as much of the turbulence as is coming at us. However, with that teamwork, this is exciting. You have actually determined not just if the TARDIS lands, but where. If you'd rolled even worse, the TARDIS would be landing somewhere nearby versus where we are actually landing. As it is, it is still not an entirely smooth arrival. The TARDIS materializes and starts to panic. A very loud distress signal is now going out. Calamity just starts, you know, patting one of the walls comfortingly. Present convince, plus two for being a companion that's been around a minute, versus 15 is what we're trying to beat. Yep, I got a 16 with nothing special. If you were traveling with a well-spirited but occasionally panicky child, you have basically just calmed her down to the point like, okay, okay, we got through it. It, was, it wasn't so bad. It was okay. It was just okay. It'll be okay. Nobody's hurt. The alarm fades out. On the scanner screen, the TARDIS has materialized in a bank vault roughly the size of a two-car garage. The hypercube is now faintly blinking in a positive fashion. Oh, that's exciting. Yes, I believe we are getting closer and closer to our destination. The glowy cube agrees with you with an extra... Is that like a, a compass or something? That's a good way to look at it. It's a compass with some additional direction sense. Let's go with that. <laughs> the actual gadget you have is called a Time Lord Emergency Messaging System. It has a major trait of track, which I have interpreted as brought you here coordinates-wise and now can give you the hot, cold oops to get you closer to the Dodger. This is just going to bring us to the Dodger and theoretically to no one else other than the Dodger. So. <laughs> With the cube held aloft for a little bit of glow to lead the way, let's head on out. Roughly the size of a two-car garage, the vault sits quiet. The faint hum of air recyclers on infinite repeat chuff away. Only a single imperfection, the slightest warping in the steel floor, suggests any strain on this tritanium cube. What's in the vault? Worthless currency, machine parts, and a pallet of Snackum's protein bars. Someone camped out here, at least in the short term. This vault is made of titanium steel. It is the reason the building above it is still standing. The vault door is currently unlocked, and it leads to a building above that is only mostly collapsed. Everyone, give me an awareness roll, please, versus a difficulty of 12. Throw intuition into it, and Fixer also throw Time Lord distinctions on here. I have a three and a six for a 16. I have a 5 and a 6 for a 16. And I have a uh, 3 and a 1 for a total of 11. Fixer, you feel nauseated. The auditor comes a step behind you and also dips a little bit in reaction. Uh, you are now going to be a minus 1 to coordination for an hour. Calamity is able to tell because she's been all over the place. You are standing in an environment of artificial gravity. 
everyone has this general feeling of nausea, but the Time Lords are hit with it double bad because they're extra sensitive to time stuff. Oh. Oh, that is that is supremely unpleasant. Maeve, Calamity, do you feel that? I'm not sure why you'd have artificial gravity on a planet, but I suppose you could if it was, I don't know, maybe if like half the planet went away for some reason. <laughs> that is supremely insightful. Calamity, earn one story point for effective foreshadowing. Calamity's a good guesser. The blushing sun wobbles beyond a horizon-wide sea of heat mirage. A narrow strip of sand-blasted terrain with little left standing save the barely-together bank behind you. It is cool, but not cold. A faint breeze carries the scent of ash and artificial ozone. Ahead, not too far, is a shanty town of scuttled ships around a large freighter with blinking, welcoming lights. Oh, well, what's this? It's sad. It reminds me a bit of Gallifrey during the war. Is there any indication of from the damage of what might have caused this? From what you can tell, cataclysm level damage. Everybody give me an awareness roll and throw intuition on there. Do you mind if I pop out the sonic stylus and do a scan as we're doing that? Please do. 15 with nothing special. Calamity, this planet's not moving. It's completely still. The reason you guys are feeling nauseated is because celestial bodies usually spin in a circle and this thing is completely inert. You are back up to full coordination because you've walked around in artificial gravity before. Fixer, what did you get with the sonic sonic Oh, well, a total of 16, but unfortunately a one on one of the dice. You wave your sonic and the news is all bad. You are standing on a stationary planet. Uh, it does not spin, it does not circle. It is frozen where it is. You are now standing on the only viable strip of land left on this planet where it is not too cold and it is not too hot because it is sunset all the time. The planet does not spin. Immediately turn to the companions, point at the dark edges of where night appears to start and say, whatever you do, do not go past the light in those directions. The temperatures are going to drop so catastrophically. Well, let's just say it would be bad. From this range, you can tell the planet has no electromagnetic field. It is gone. Whether or not the fixer has the words for it, you are within walking distance of a rift. The sonic out of overload. Too much info, and it'll need an hour to self-repair. My working theory is that what we're standing on was once a planet. The question that comes to mind is why? I was going to ask, what does that? I strongly believe the answers lie ahead of us. He does raise a finger and just leans quietly to the fixer. Did you lock the door? <laughs> Every time. What's the benefit of having two doors if you don't lock at least one of them? <laughs> You're walking up to a long, heavy freighter defended by humanoid guards on watch with spotlights. And from here, it looks like they're carrying blaster rifles. They are not in any kind of uniform. Their weapons do not match. This freighter sits nestled in the rubble. Oh good, survivors. Of what though? What happened here? Maybe they can tell us, we should ask. The spotlight guard posts are sweeping the ground on a regular basis. Do you want to try and evade them? Do you want to step into them? My first instinct is to greet with hands open and wide. 
and motion to the uh, companions to do the same. Definitely don't want to look like we're walking up with any weapons. Calamity, did you happen to bring your cattle prod with you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, of course you did. Of course you did. Okay, everybody give me a presence and convince roll versus 16. You are in unfriendly terrain. I got a one and a five for a 12. A four and a two for a total of 11. I've got a 17 with nothing special. Oh, great. (laughs) As the four of us step into the lights that just sweep over Maeve, the fixer, and the auditor, hi, no, wait, that's awkward, what? Fixer's like, no, what I mean to say is, no, my hands are up, my hands are up. And the auditor's like, on behalf of the, oh, right, no, we're putting our hands up, yes. (laughs) And Cloud is like, hi, where did you guys get those blasters? Oh man, are those catalyzers? Like, holy hell, I haven't seen a catalyzer pointed at me in, in months. One of them says, yeah, it is a catalyzer, the X900s. They're great, they hardly need recharging. Put your hands up, guys. Slowly, the gates on the side of the freighter squeal open and light spills out. A squad of armed men approach along with a rather meek, bent guy walking ahead of the people, not because he's in charge of them, but because he's been told if he doesn't find out what you want, bad things could happen to him. Hi, it's a pleasure to meet you. Who are you? I'm the fixer. You clearly need help. (laughs) Fixer, what'd you do, fall out this guy? (laughs) He says he's a fixer! There's a crackle of overhead microphones. Bring them in and search them. So these fine gentlemen are now going to search you. This is going to be a coordination and subterfuge roll versus 16 to hide things that you want to conceal. I believe Maeve has her pocket reporter. Good luck hiding a cattle prod. I would like to help distract the people searching us with all of the pockets I have and all of the items in hopes that I can give Calamity the ability to help hide the cattle from. Okay, give me a presence and convince roll of like, yes, okay, I'm sorry. And like fumbling Marx Brothers wise of like, yes, it's here somewhere. Just bear with me. And like tool, 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 tool. Okay, got a 12 with a three and a four in the dice. Oh no. I got a two and a one for a total of nine. (laughs) Maeve, you get searched and they take your pocket reporter. Oh no, I need that. It just takes notes. It's not a big deal. One of them like just sniffs it. He's like, oh, I smell circuits. Put it in the pile. No, don't put it in the pile. Put it back in my hand. (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming Calamity had basically gotten like some sort of like a leather strap with a snap where she can just sort of have the cattle prod like hanging at her belt. Mm-hmm. When they say they're gonna, they're gonna search people, then Calamity's like, oh yeah, and like just starts pulling things out of her pockets to show them. I've got this phone and I don't think it's working here because there's no signal, but then I've got a first aid kit and that's great. And mm-hmm. oh, and I've got the, the Happy Chance Fun Ball. Have you seen one of these? Are you trying to uh, baffle them so they can hang on to your cattle prod? Not on purpose. She's just sort of going through things one at a time. Give us a presence and convince roll. 16 with a six on one of the dice. 
You give them a handful of receipts, a snackums wrapper, and half a protein bar. Yeah, darn it if you didn't sneak that cattle prod right into your pocket, because like you're getting things in and getting things out. I mean, this thing's covered in pockets. Fixer, having not rolled quite so well, do you want to spend two story points to hang on to your Sonic? I'm wondering if it might be more wise to hold on to some of the more analog tools. I don't know. What, what sounds useful to you? You know those wonderful little tools that look like a screwdriver that just have a bunch of metal pins at the end? So that mm. way you can stick it into different types of, uh, of screws, nuts, etc., and unscrew them because mm. the little pins uh. retract backwards to fill that space? Yeah. Something like that would be fantastic. Okay. Yeah, you you keep baffling them with BS. It's like, no, take this. Sorry. No, I meant to finish that. Okay, here's my pair. Uh, that's my favorite multi-tool. You, you best be returning that when you're done. Mm. Yeah, no, they, the auditor is not nearly so lucky. They, they rifle him and they get everything, including his uh, sonic compass. And as you're handing things over, one of them, they, they take the glowy box and uh, toss it in the bag with the rest of things they have confiscated. Can we keep that? We're looking for someone. Calamity, you keep saying things that just set things up so beautifully. From behind the armed men out steps a skinny, scrappy guy pushing 30 and already losing thinning dark hair. He hasn't shaved and he is wearing a suit that at one point was secondhand, but now is almost as much patch as jacket and vest. Who are you looking for then, love? She looks at Fixer to remind her. Sometimes they are called uh, the Dodger. You don't say the Dodger. That's lovely. Where'd you come from, Peaches? As your uh, associate mentioned, we, we fell from the sky. You needed a Fixer, obviously. Yes. Yes, we did. The gentleman in front of you sizes you up and he takes out a little device half the size of a smartphone and he just waves it up and down the fixer and he waves it up and down the companions. It rings the loudest in front of the Time Lords and less at Maeve Calamity just in terms of like how long they've been around time machines. He looks at it, smiles and pockets it. Wasn't that thoughtful of you? to bring us a spare. And he snaps his fingers and the men with guns train them on Maeve, Calamity, and the auditor. And one keeps it trained on the fixers like, let's make you comfortable in the quicks. So he is trying to escort you someplace at gunpoint. Do you wish to fight? Do you wish to agree? Do you wish to talk? I mean, Calamity's fine with being comfortable every now and then, so. Are they bringing the bag that they stuffed all of our gear in with us? The man, Felix, points to the bag and tells one of the guards to take it to his office. Uh, you have my stuff in there? <laughs> <laughs> my stuff now, dearie. No, it's not. It's still mine. You just stole it. Nothing is stolen on ruption. Everything is appropriated. Isn't that lovely? And I have just appropriated what's yours in exchange for the air you breathe and the gravity under your feet. You're welcome. I didn't say thank you. You must really like this place. Give me a presence and convince roll. Like, I get that you're being cheeky and cute. 
but we're going to roll to see if he's in the mood for it or not. <laughs> That's very fair. <laughs> Presence and convince? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'll use my last remaining story point on this one. Have you really burned through four story points today already? Yep. Goodness gracious. We don't judge. You spend them how you want to spend them. He looks at you, blinks. <laughs> You're going to fit right in. Shackle him. One of the guards produces uh, a pair of handcuffs from the future. He points two fingers and the guards start gesturing for Calamity and Maeve and the auditor to walk ahead of them with Gruggery, the downward facing man. Calamity seems very excited about having a tour. It's good that they explained how it's all right to appropriate things here. Keep an eye out for anything interesting. Oh yes, there's quite a bit of interesting, shiny, shiny things here. The door at the far end of the space opens and in walks Trip Shine, wearing a more tattered version of the outfit he was wearing the last time you saw him. He is no longer wearing any kind of a jacket. There are now silver streaks in his hair where once was sable black and crow's feet have alighted on the corners of his eyes. A 10 years older Tripshine walks in. Hey, handsome. Did you miss us? Fixer. How... How did... I don't think Maeve leaves unless someone physically forces her to. She just kind of (laughs) stands her ground and says, I think I'll stay here. Thanks. Mr. Shine, you're just in time to take our new workers down to the quicks. Whatever you say, Felix. That's boss to you. Radio boss. Come on, friends. Let me show you where you'll be working. Trip waves the guards and Gruggery just like sort of takes a step back and follows deferentially, walking uh, Maeve and Calamity and the auditor forcefully out. Felix points to the tallest of the men that stayed put. You can escort him to my office. I'll be along presently. You are walked away at gunpoint. Well, so the fixer is not coming with us? No, the fixer is being separated from you guys. We'll catch up later. It'll be fine. cut to a deeply unpleasant place where the laws of time are under a great deal of pressure ships welded together into workshops sit behind a chain link fence on the far side of which people move back and forth at a literal blur Felix walks with you in the safety of the guards across a short wasteland to where uh, chain link fence is the only separation between us walking at a normal pace and tempo and on the far side where people are moving around at a blur. He says to Trip, It's been fine work on the couplings, but we need more. We've got to handle a lot more output on this. Take a couple of months to work on it and get back to me in the morning. Right away, boss. Gruggery follows you guys to the actual gate, takes out a key. Rather than a temperature difference of one walking into a sauna, there is a weight to the air, a coolness to it. There is a constant breeze of air moving around faster than on the far side of the fence. Gruggery walks you in to the open promenade between these various workshops. And on the far side of the gate, he is now blurring and you can see him waving quickly as a hummingbird to follow him in. I do that, that seems neat. 
I think Maeve this whole way has been like using all of the tricks she learned growing up, walking super slowly, accidentally tripping, like basically just being a whole handful all on her own. And at this point she kind of plants her feet and goes, what's on the other side? Behind you, one of the guards says, you'll have a lot of time to find out and shoves hard. Uh, if it seems like she's gonna fall on her way in, I'll try to catch her. Calamity, you have been standing in the same place for three hours waiting while uh, on the far side of the fence, someone has walked up extremely slowly behind your friend and shoved her through. And she has spent the better part of an hour slowly falling closer to the gate until she catches up to you. And a second later, the auditor, who is also slowly tumbling for the last hour, falls through the gate, trips to his knees, and is violently sick. And Gregory just looks down at him and is like, yeah, some people get that way. It happens. That was rude. Maeve, add one story point for uh, the passive resistance and dragging your feet and very stubborn companion-y thinking. It takes your three-dimensional brains a few seconds to adjust. Everyone in here is tired. Everyone in here is a muted gray, moving at half speed that has been accelerated. Months will pass overnight. Gruggery starts to explain. Inside here, there are various labors that need to be done in order to earn your keep. The ships that have crashed here because of the big collapse all basically are indentured servants in here living off of borrowed gravity and recycled oxygen. Inside, you are forced to do hard labor like digging for artron-soaked coal uh, and carbon, working on tech, uh, melting things down for scrap and uh, melting it for raw materials, and even crunching numbers into quantum formula, depending on where you wind up. Trip has a little badge uh, that indicates he is the pit boss for uh, Fugit Foundry, which is the quote-unquote cushiest place to work. In order to determine where you guys are going to end up, we're going to roll presence and convince with Gregory. Yes, and this is going to be a difficulty of 18 that we are trying to persuade Gregory that we're good workers, etc. It's not much, but, you know, we get by. Oof, that's a one and a five for a 12. But I will spend a story point on this. By spending the story point, you get yourself out of rift scraping and into scrap work. And he points not towards the end of the promenade, towards a purple glowing special effect that you really don't want to get closer to if you can avoid it, and points to the next station closer, scrap work. There are flickering, flashing torches inside of people doing hard work in hot conditions. Calamity, what did you roll? I have a 16 with nothing special. That is also a uh, fail he can assign you to scrap work uh, with Maeve, if you like. That, seem, that seems great. I'm great at finding things that are, that are interesting and useful. This is great. This is great for me. Unfortunately, you did not roll well enough to get tools to make your work easier. That would have been a six plus. But yeah, he points you guys towards the uh, scrap work yard. Trip. This isn't the worst work you could have been assigned, so I'll be happy for that. I'm kind of in charge around here, so if you have any trouble, don't bother me. 
But if you find anything interesting, I'm the guy to tell. Anything out of the ordinary, you'll figure out what the ordinary is pretty soon. Welcome to Purgatory. <laughs> Trip, add a story point. That was beautifully done. Thank you. From his knees, the auditor just, he looks bad. He did not do so great. Gregory looks at him and just drops a rag near him. Get to work. To clarify, the, the, the chain link fence is only the demarcation point. There is nothing special about the chain link fence. It's just the radius of the time wibbly wobbliness on the far side. Yay, time distortion! The fixer is brought, handcuffs and all, to a cramped captain's quarters made comfortable with furnishings taken from other ships. Eclectic decor is the result. Beyond the desk console is a grotty mirror behind a faintly flickering force field. Welcome to the office of Felix Fugit, king of the hill, atop a volcano. You have the view of the place for maybe 30 seconds to look around. Um, a guard, Bruno, is standing at the door and you can hear boots on metal gangplanks uh, walking closer. Um, but yeah, you have time to look around if you want for a hot second. Excellent. Can I use that time instead to slip the uh, <laughs> screwdriver out, fit it into the uh, cuffs, make, quickly undo them and leave them <laughs> on so it appears as though they're still on? I didn't actually take the sonic screwdriver with me. I took what I was trying to describe earlier, which was the probe with the little metal things at the end. And You are going to be at a disadvantage because you are wearing handcuffs as you try to take off handcuffs. At a difficulty of 21, we're going to add an extra two because you're trying to do so without being noticed. So you've got coordination plus your subterfuge plus two for the actual device that you smuggled. Um, you're at a disadvantage against 23. Well, Bruno is going to roll to see if he notices anything about you. Okay, he did not roll well. He rolled a three with a one and a two on the dice. 13. You manage to try and find a good angle to start fixing. <laughs> to try to start getting out. That's when the steps get loud enough that you're like, okay, no, don't. And uh, manage to slip away without getting caught. So kudos for that. In walks Felix. He just plops down behind the, the desk chair like he owns the place because he does. Well, well, well. A fixer out of the sky. Uh, I find that I usually end up in places where people need my help. And looking around, you clearly need my help. He's, he, he sits back in his chair. Help is such a voluntary word. Give me a presence and convince roll to sweet talk fix. This is going to be presence and convince. Nice. I got a six and a four for a total of 15. He's not going to force you to do anything. We're just having a nice conversation. He plays with the detector device that was beeping earlier. The bag o object is on the desk, and he hasn't gotten to it yet, but it seems to be on his to-do list. So according to this, and he waves the device, you are from a very far place out of town, am I correct? Well, yes, of course. Do you think people from your time have the time, energy, and resources to come help somebody in your situation? Time is quite relative, especially here. 
those friends of yours are going to be spending quite a lot of time here in the interim. And their time hinges on you. That sounds very reasonable, but I have to ask you a question first about one of your friends, Tripshine. I'm liking the Silver Fox look. I really think the, the salt and pepper hair is like a, a definite upgrade. It's the years and the mileage. Fair enough. He works for me. I tolerate him because he is useful. Our good friend Mr. Shine is working on projects at his, let's generously call it a level, Mr. Out of the Sky. I think I have another job. He flicks open the bag of treats. Cut to. In the quicks. Maeve, Calamity, the Auditor, and Trip have now been there for over a month. Since you have seen any kind of change in the light, you have slept fitfully when you have not worked to exhaustion. You may have made friends in the interim. You may have done work well in the interim. We are going to roll for those things and see what happens to you over the course of that month. We are going to be testing your strength and your survival skills for the work that you are doing versus a difficulty of 16 over the course of the last month. I just want to say, Maeve has not been, uh, she's been trying, but trying to do the opposite of everything she's supposed to do. Everything she does is a complete battle on the part of anybody trying to make her do it. That is totally fair. Like her, like she's mentioned having a combative relationship with her dad. You get the impression she was quite the handful because she's doubling it here. You are then roll. Okay, number one, I love that. Number two, add a story point. You're gonna need it because you are now rolling at a disadvantage for being obstinate to the people who are who are, who are in your way. Plus two though for being for being that strong-willed companion. Calamity, you are also getting an advantage here because you have been endlessly positive, and I don't think that would erode after only a month of endless labor in a hellish landscape. So <laughs> give us a strength and survival roll with plus two for being your, your, your sunny self. Yes. I do have some thoughts about what she's been doing for a month, but let's, let's do I would love first. to hear them once we get through the roll. I got double fours for a total of 13, but I will spend a story point. Okay. Or two. If you spend one story point, that brings you up to a fail with, or a no but. So you have worked very hard they have noticed you doing the bare minimum of quotas that don't get you in trouble with the other people. You have aged two months over the last month of being in here. It could have been much, much worse. Uh, give us a presence and convince role because there are also people around like Fiona, another worker. Calamity, what did you roll with your strength and survival and plus two? So I've got an eight with a one on one of the dice. You have worked very hard and not gotten very far. You have aged three months in the span of the one month that you have been in here. If it had been worse, you would be at a minus one to something and we're not there yet. Now give us a presence and convince roll for Gregory and Fiona. Here's the thing. Uh, I have a specialization in intrusion. It's technically under the category of subterfuge, but can I use that for this role? Like, trying to, like, talk with the other workers and inspire uh, them to be as stubborn and pig-headed as I'm being. <laughs> I'll allow it. I'll allow it. I like the individual flavors you guys bring to the show. 
Jack, please roll for trip to keep your quotas and make sure that the power couplings, the quantum couplings that you've been asked to fabricate uh, continue to be completed on time. Calamity, what did you get? Like, Calamity is still fine with this, you know, these things happen. Um, she would get a little bored and probably start a cult. That's what the presence and convince rolls are going to be for, yeah. Yeah. So she's got a 20 with two sixes. Holy crap, that's amazing. <laughs> I have a two and a six for a 16. Hang on to the 16, Maeve, for the convince roll. Calamity, that was for the work you've been doing here. Um... Actually, no, you already rolled for that. I'm sorry. No, I did. Yeah. No, I sucked at work. Yeah, you sucked at work. You did, however, gain the friendship of, an, of another woman working in the scrapyard named Fiona. Fiona has been here as long as anybody. There are long streaks of gray in her hair, but she has some currency, some social currency with the locals as with gruggery. What they don't have is a lot of resolve. Let me ask you a question. This cult that you'd like to bring together nightly uh, as people rest and have their snackums grog. Oh, it is absolutely the Church of Serendipity. Okay, so yeah, with those double sixes, you have started a small church of serendipity in the scrap shop. This is really a perfect place for it. It really is, it really is. Trip, give us a coordination and technology roll and plus two for uh, time training. Okay. Going analog here. 12, so a total of 14. 14, okay. That is unfortunately a fail. This was also for the 16. You have worked very hard and have aged two months in the last four weeks of compressed, compressed time. And because it is a failure, there is now a mark on the big board in Fugit Foundry, which we will be spending some time on soon. Cut to the nighttime inside the quicks after a month of calamity having meetings for the Church of Serendipity and you are wrapping up a meeting before it is time to go to bed. What are you saying to the assembled people in this little Church of Serendipity? As we've been saying, really, it's all a matter of perspective, you see. The world is a is a fascinating and wonderful place. If only you can just look at it from the right angle. Many people live lives of really, really quiet boredom. Their innermost souls are sort of tortured and withered under the unrelenting assault of just nothing interesting happen. Whereas, if you properly open yourself up to the will of whoops, things will just come to you and they are, of course, some of them hurt, obviously, some of them are you might normally call unpleasant, but again, if you look at it from the right perspective, unpleasant things are just interesting things for, you know, your body, right? Plus, there's a couple of Time Lords here, so probably this is all gonna go really, really pear-shaped at some point. Just be ready for that. Take advantage of it. Cut to Maeve getting some air outside in the quicks and staring up at the stars that do not blur. The only thing that's not blurring right now because the stars are still, because the planet is still. You've had a month in here. Your friend has started their own cult. The auditor looks rough. The month has not been kind on him physiologically. There is now starting to show some silver in his temples as well. 
Nave is is angry, not like at anyone in particular, just at the world right now. And she's just looking up at the stars and thinking, we gotta get back to there. We have to go and we have to go now. Productivity wise for the last month of time, you have been charged with making quantum couplings. They are support beams that allow for the transfer of energy. They help maintain integrity, the bones of the ship. You have been just cutting down scrap and pouring it into molds. And then the couplings have been taken to Fugit Foundry. On the inside of the foundry, the couplings get reduced to two-dimensional, perfectly flat versions of them so that they can be stacked and transferred out of here. The Mirim are here, reducing these things to two-dimensional states so they can be easily transported out. Trip and the auditor stare at the big board, the project list that is going on inside of the Quicks. There are a number of projects at various states of completion. This is not good for me. This is not good for any of us. <coughs> I need to stay in Felix's good graces. You see that mark up there? That's bad news for me. I'm terribly sorry you haven't hit your quota, Mr. Shine. I've been a little bit busy absorbing unhealthy amounts of Archon energy. <clears throat> I know you have no reason to trust me, but I've made my last play. I have to get out of here. I love it. Cut to a wide storage space inside the freighter proper away from the quicks where time is running at a normal pace. Scratch marks, scrape marks lead across the floor from the outside all the way into here. A big blue box of cobalt steel sits in the freighter, surrounded by cutting torches, smack hammers, and blast marks of Nitro-9. The box carries not a scratch. No visible means of entry it is a TARDIS in siege mode, the last desperate measure of a stranded Time Lord. The fixer is brought in by Bruno, still holding the energy rifle, and Felix, who is just strolling around again like he owns the place. As fate would have it, you are not the first person with a V in your name to fall out of the sky. Really? You're the Felix? You're going to be rolling at disadvantage the next time you have an interaction that is a social contest with Felix. I love it. At a story point. Not quite. He goes to an open crate, pulls out a little container of Nitro 9 that looks for all intents and purposes like a shaving cream can, pops the button, starts to beep, and chucks it at the box. There is an explosion and a flicker and not a mark on the box. Again! You see, we've had a little bit of trouble convincing your friend to come out and play. I was wondering if you would help us fix that. Oh, certainly. That's an easy one. I'll probably need another pallet of the Nitro 9. Probably at least 20 to 30 feet of cord. Something that can handle a high, high charge. Half the things that you described are laying in coiled piles here and there. None of the gear is first-hand. It has all been scoured and scavenged from the other ships. He explains to you what it is he's actually trying to do. There was a disaster on Ruption. They were trying to tap the planet's core 
as a power source for big doings. And all those people are dead now. Their efforts not only cracked the mantle of the Earth, but they accidentally suspended and killed the spinning of the planet's molten core, bringing the electromagnetic field to a complete stop. When the planet stopped spinning and circling in the heavens, the wind kept blowing and sheared the entire planet's surface to a sandy ruin. The only people that survived were in orbit in a very thin slice that Felix happened to know about because he got an email from himself. He is stranded here. Everyone is stranded here, and he is not leaving empty-handed. This was a message sent to me from me, and it's the only reason I'm alive. Now, I'm inclined to follow my own advice, but right now what I need is power, and there's a lot of it sitting in there. I want to take this ship off of here. Where is your final destination? Anywhere. Everywhere. I want all time in space, Peaches. I want all time in space. Gotcha. Okay, well, I guess that won't work quite so well for that goal. Oh, I do have a way to actually make that happen for you, though. What's your opinion of school? (laughs) (laughs) He gets closer and closer. He gets inside your personal bubble. Bruno shifts in body language to be ready to do something if he needs to do something. Felix walks up to you and straightens the lapels on your jacket. It is amusingly delightful that you believe you have some form of choice in all of this. You are going to help me transport this entire vessel off this planet, or you and your precious friends will be worked to death. How does that sound? Confusing, because I've already offered you that. Now I get it, schooling can be a little challenging, but I guarantee you within two to three years- He's gonna try and punch you in the stomach. I'm gonna take it. I'm not even gonna dodge it. I'm literally going to take the hit. Take the breath afterwards and try to continue talking. <laughs> okay. You, you get as far as two to three years with this smug Time Lord entitlement to the span of time and space that is in itself worth a story point because you are so bloody in character here. You do get a punch in the stomach that sends you to your knees. You are not contesting. Oh. You're not going to roll. Oh. <clears throat> oh. Oh. Ow. It usually takes about two to three years to learn how to have a blood beats. And so, just for your own safety, you'd really want to have that time training in how to... He pulls out the device again, raises it to his lips. This'll be funny. Attention, Tripshine. Meanwhile, in Fugit Foundry, another month has passed. Sciency yancy doings are necessary. Uh, you get a message from Felix Fugit from the outside at the big board. Ah, uh, Mr. Fixer's being a uh, tad unruly. Why don't you take his friends to do some scraping at the rift and get back to me next month? Uh, boss, I'd be absolutely happy to do that, but let me suggest something that might work better. I know this guy. I can talk to him. Presence and convince. Fives for both of those, so that's ten. 
and another seven with a six and a one. <laughs> Seventeen. I'm listening. I can talk to him this way, which, as you know, really screws things up, especially with my mind. And I know you don't care about that, nor should you. Let me come out there. Let me come out and talk to him. I can convince him to do what you need. Very well. And in exchange, Gruggery can take them to the rift for fresh scrapes. Click. A green light goes off in the foundry that is your signal to head for the gates. The next morning, inside the quicks, Gruggery knocks on the shanty door for Maeve and Calamity and the Auditor. Hello. Hi. How's it going? This is going to be bad. This is the bad part. We've got to go to any points towards this, the purple haze in the distance up the promenade. I think your friend might have said something to make the boss angry. Well, I mean, I had sort of been wanting to check that out. You don't seem like you want to go. Maeve, give me an awareness roll. You are at an advantage because you've now spent at least two to three months around Gruggery, and you've worked alongside him. You've wiped floors, you've cut metal, you've dragged wagons down the street. You've done the same hard, hard labor together. That's a one and a four for a 14. That is more than enough. Gruggery is broken. He has a resolve score of one. He is barely able to keep going, and the pressure of this place has ground him down literally over time since the cataclysm first happened. Gruggery is terrified of heading for the rift itself. People, all of the people walking this way are gray to white haired because of calamities building of a little church of serendipity. Fiona, when she sees the new assignments that you guys have been assigned, she's like, she smuggles Maeve and Calamity visors to keep the rift light out of their faces. She can't go for you, but she can give you some extra protection. Neat, what do these do? She says, pray you don't have to find out. Keep them on the whole time, okay? Okay. It's not really the kind of thing I pray for, but... Why don't we just, you know, say we got the word late, Gregory? Wait till lunchtime. Maybe later. Later. <laughs> what a concept. And he just trudges off. People are dragging litters of radiated carbon back from the rift as you guys uh, head that direction. So, Auditor, are we going that direction or do we get lost and go uh, that way? And I point off the opposite direction. <laughs> The opposite direction would be towards the fences and the men with guns. Well, I'm sure Maeve's been over there a few times to take a tour and see if the defenses are weakening at all. Give me a coordination and subterfuge roll to see if you can sneak around. There are men with rifles on the inside, or at least with bludgeons. Instill that brand of morale. That's a five and a six for an 18. You were looking around the promenade. You start doing a head count. While the gate is closed and guarded and the fence is wide to either side, there are only so many men with blaster rifles in here. You just do a head count of the guards and the people on Trip's level of authority, the various pit bosses at the stations, and the people that have spent their evenings in Calamity's rooms listening to the joys of serendipity. They outnumber the guards. Not enough to like, you know, vive la revolution, but another month at it might tip the difference. You walk away from the buildings towards a headache. 
of a purple glow. The terrain is cracked, the terrain is unsteady, um, the air hums and wobbles dangerously as it is pulled through time in ways it was never intended. Close your eyes and you can feel the pressure, not of tectonic plates crashed aground of each other, but plates of quanta that have been stacked impossibly high above and below, piled against each other precariously intact. Breathe wrong and disaster may fall here. That is the pressure from this light, basically a tear in the reality of the way things are supposed to be. Artron energy is incredibly rife here, soaking the terrain surrounding the rift. If the warm afterglow of an oven that's been turned off is the level of background radiation that you're used to in the TARDIS, that place over there is a kiln, inside of a kiln, in terms of intensity of the radiation. It won't kill you, but being around it will not do you any good. The ground is just littered with rubble, and older people get down on their hands and knees and start scraping handfuls of loose rocks and carbon onto their litters that they can start to drag back. They are trying their best not to gaze directly at the rift. Some of them have visors. They have worked hard enough to rate visors. The auditor did not get one because Fiona only had hers and Gregory's that she could spare. This is going to be a strength roll with survival. The visors make it so that you have a better chance of avoiding gazing into time and the bad things that can happen from that. Would you like to approach first or, or just start digging where you are? Does the auditor look worse off than Maeve? Oh my, yes. I'm gonna give the auditor my visor. Add two story points for the most humane companion-y thing I have seen in a lot of games. Time Lords are sensitive to problems with time in terms of a severity of like, I don't like strawberries versus I'm fatally allergic to strawberries is the difference. So his hands have been shaking a little bit when he's uh, trying to uh, drag the radiated carbon onto his litter. Maeve, roll to gaze into the rift because you have sacrificed your visor. This is going to be an awareness roll plus survival versus 14. Okay, that's a three and a six for a 13. You gain a grasp of the rift at this distance and you feel cold. You feel a coldness pass through you, bone and blood. Get no closer to this thing. Calamity, you have your visor on, yes? Mm-hmm. Okay, give us a strength and survival roll, please. And throw on two, because you've had a lot of, of crappy jobs. Versus 18 for the getting to work. So I have a 14 with a sit. That is a fail. You have worked very hard today. Age three years. There is an extra ribbon of silver in Calamity's hair. She has aged years in the time that we have been here. The auditor rolled a four with a one on the dice. That is definitely a failure. He ages five years in front of your eyes, dragging the rocks onto the litter. Maeve, can you give me a strength and survival roll, please, to be doing your own heavy lifting here? Uh, I have a six and a two for an 11. 
you have worked very hard today. You have felt every minute of it, and you have aged three years. It has been three years of thankless work piled into one day. This is the strain that brings people back looking like they've aged a decade. But you guys do successfully fill your litters and start dragging them back from the rift, older if not wiser. Maeve, you are going to be at a plus two for future rift-related challenges because you survived looking into it and shared your visor. Cut to five minutes that have barely passed where Felix has been eating a Snackums bar waiting to hear back on the torments that have been going on for the Fixer's allies and just gets a little <laughs> their shifts up, boss. He looks at the Fixer who has gotten to his feet again. Now are you willing to help me or do you have more clever things to say? What type of yes do you need to hear? Yes, you will open that ship. Yes, you will bring me to your ship. Yes, you will get me and every scrap of material I care about off of this broken rock, and we will never see each other again. How does that sound? Okay. Felix drops the sack of purloined items on the floor, and it falls open. So what I'd like to do, and I'll ask for the items as I'm doing this, so it's obviously I'm working and not just buying time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to begin taking the charges and begin lining them up along one specific wall of the box, one end to the other. Then, if there's pallets or other material that the uh, equipment was brought in on, I'm going to begin lining those explosives with those pallets. So there's now the uh, unbreakable material, layer of explosives, layer of pallets. And at mm -hmm. that point, I'm going to turn to them and say, okay, while I start running wire, I need you to fetch my stylus and my companion's recording equipment. I'm going to need both of those to be able to activate this properly and not just turn this into a giant bomb. Felix, first he's going to hand it to a guard who's going to come over and, and hold it very skeptically in front of you. Do I even need to say no sudden moves? Well, yeah. Did you see how many explosives we just put on that wall? <laughs> Look at Bruno and say, I am so sorry that your boss isn't looking out for you the way he should. Reach inside the bag, pull out Sonic Stylus, pull out mm -hmm. Maeve's recorder, pull out, I, I believe it was a snow globe that Calamity was, was enjoying earlier. The Happy Luck Chance Bowl. The Happy Luck yeah. Chance Bowl. Shoka shoka. <laughs> Take that, put that down directly next to me. Begin opening up the back of the recording device and start looking at the equipment inside as if I'm looking at the best way to start running that wire to this equipment. Start running wire across pallets that I've put against the explosives. Mm -hmm. So that way it creates that sort of lattice of metal. And at that point, check to see if my sonic screwdriver is actually active again. More than an hour has passed while you've been in here, yes. While you have been doing this montage of tech prep, a month has passed in the quicks. Trip reaches the interior of the freighter when explosives are being applied behind metal pallets to this giant metal box. Um, you know what you're doing? You ask that question like you don't know that I know what I'm doing. I can't be sure. Well, I've been waiting this entire time for you. I hope the wait has been worth it. Don't talk to me about waiting, Fixer. You haven't lived it. You aren't living what your companions are living right now. So you've obviously said yes, and so my trip out here, turns out, uh, was for nothing. No, it really wasn't. I'm actually very happy to see you. You know, I've had a question for you for a while now. You know when you were moving those mirrorim around? Yeah. Did you know it was going to hurt those people? 
Yeah. Can you tell me why you did it? Because I told him to. Oh, good. Well, that makes life a lot easier, actually. The next pallet of flattened quantum couplings are brought in. One of the guards takes a silver ingot over to the pallet, and there is the squeaking. And then as the dimensionality of these quantum couplings is restored so that they can actually be installed around the ship. Because I told him to. Because your agent of time landed here. It's only through my beneficence that I allowed him to go fishing for more people like you so we can get out of here. Do you understand? I do, Felix. And I really appreciate that, I really do. Again, you know, we made an agreement. You want inside that box. I'm gonna get you inside that box. What I'd like to do is, with one arm, reach out around Trip's waist, scoop him to the side so that he's firmly along the, the, the still protected side of the metal box. While using the sonic activate those explosives at once, which should drive that force towards the nearest wall, blowing a hole in the nearest wall, at minimum, stun the other two guys in the room, giving me and Trip enough time to uh, exit post-haste. <laughs> so dynamic. Give me a roll of the dice and don't get a snake eyes. This is going to be ingenuity, this is going to be technology. And add two for being a time lord and add two for being a son- for, for Sonic. I would also like to use those last two uh, story points to try to make this happen. As we have discussed in the past, story points can be used to either affect the success rates of things that you want to do, or just flat out cause those things to do. Two story points will make a change. It will increase the success, but it will not cause the thing by itself. I do need you to still roll, because this is going to be a major impact, literally, with the explosives involved. (laughs) I'm so happy I spent those extra points, because we're looking at a two and a one for a total of 11. So here's a fun thing about physics. When an unstoppable force meets an immovable object, there is a reaction in the other way. The TARDIS in siege mode is indestructible. The Nitro 9 that has been installed facing the metal pallets towards the wall of the freighter are not going to leave so much as another scratch on the actual blue box and instead push all of that detonating force in the other direction, blasting out the wall. The butt, however, is Felix is out of the blast range. Only his guards have been blown off their feet in the... Detonation, yeah, they rolled snake eyes. The guards are out frickin' cold. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I presume you are you and Trip are cheesing it out the brand new hole in, in, in Fort Fugit? Absolutely. Yes. Giving Trip the opportunity to run first. Give us a strength roll, please. We are now running over rocky terrain. This is gonna be a new fun roll. Trying to go faster on an average street is a difficulty of nine. You're basically in a rock quarry, so the challenge to beat here is 15. So strength and survival or athletics. Did Fixer take any sort of, does he have any points in athletics? <laughs> Let's double check. I, It's not a lot. Uh, just an athletics of two, and I only have a strength of two as well. Okay, we're looking at a four and a one for a total of nine. You've got that ringing of tinnitus in your ears of standing too close to an explosion when it explodes. So you are wobbly AF between the fake gravity being close to a time distortion and the explosion that just went off. You will keep your feet, but it will not be a graceful exit. Yeah, so with my strength of four and athletics of three, I rolled a 10 with six 
for a total of 17. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, you get out of there, uh, I'd say at least two, three steps ahead of the fixer. Meanwhile, the Felix is, he is a scrapper. He is disorientated, but he is still on his feet. And he pulls out a blaster and he starts chasing after you guys. Meanwhile, inside the quicks, it is the middle of your so-called day. You are not exhausted to the point of ruin yet. Calamity is having a noontime brainstorm session with Church of Whoops. I think Maeve is attending and she's been talking to Calamity. I'm sure whatever the Fixer is doing is very important and I'm sure he's doing everything he can to get us out of here, but I think we might need to take a little initiative. There are now more people in your church than there are guards guarding us. And you know, a distraction could be quite an interesting thing to happen. I was actually thinking about a distraction. Calamity has developed an extremely unhealthy fascination with what was described as basically a large disaster waiting to happen mm -hmm. with the quantum stacked things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just precarious, I think was the term you used. Yes. And she's just been thinking about it the whole time. And in fact, she's kind of been mentioning it in her sermons. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> soon. Presence and convince and throw two on for being the acolyte of whoops. We're at an advantage with your followers because you spent the last three months overnight bringing these people around to your way of seeing things. I think Maeve has been attending and kind of also supporting this yes. cause. <laughs> Uh, this will be presence and convince to help sway the group and build more followers in the cult of I, I haven't actually used a lot of uh, story points, so I'm going to just toss two on there okay. um, to make sure it goes well. Okay, great. Oh, good thing, too. I got, a, I got a 14 with a 1 and a 3. Uh, and I got a 15 with a 3 and a 5. You have more than enough to bring these suffering people around to the idea that random things happen, but they're not always bad. Some of them can be good if you just wait long enough. And as you guys are talking about, we just need a distraction. And that's when the rumble starts. I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of watching an explosion go off in slow motion, but it is a joy to behold. When you say distraction, the rumble begins and you turn and on the far side of the fences outside the quicks, an entire wall of Fort Fugis begins to erupt as pieces of scrap metal fly ever so slowly through the air on a growing plume of flame and destruction. The ground rumbles. Fixer, you are the Time Lord responsible for this latest disruption. Evens or odds? Oh, well, I'm an odd one, so I'm going to go for odds. That is a snake eyes and the number two. The explosion continues to erupt. Cracks split the ground underneath Fort Fugit and make their way in terrifying slow motion right for the quicks. That is where we are going to stop things today in hard time.
our fourth mod with our incredible Team TARDIS. My cheeks hurt from smiling. <laughs> I would love to go around the table. Kate, how would Maeve report on today's events, do you think? Oh, I think it would definitely be uh, like a human interest piece from the side of someone in the quicks and struggling to survive it. Like very focused on the idea of revolution and change. There would be no objectivity there. Mm -mm. I love it. Dora, what did you think of today's bizarre turn of events? I mean, it's been a lot, I'm not going to lie, but Calamity is just really, you know, leaning into it because there's just so much going on here. I mean, she has sort of established a shrine, and if anybody actually survives, they might spread in various directions, and that'd be great. If they don't, well, you know, that is okay, Whoops. too. <laughs> um, but... Uh, but yeah, no, she's she's all about this. This is really one of the most exciting things that has happened to her, even though it's taking a really long time. Mm -hmm. That part is rough, but the sermons help. I mean, it's never easy starting a church. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say for context is that Whoops originated as a deity in a Big Finish story that was part of Calamity's inspiration. And we have been looking forward to just unfolding all the little flowers of this garden of experience that Calamity has. Brand, what surprised you most about today's mod? Oh my, Felix. Felix was... Credit to you, well, very well-written character, but also in interacting with him, as we were peeling apart the layers of that onion, it makes a lot of sense. It, it's that self-driving story of, I'm trying to survive this, I'm trying to make something better out of it, and then finally you see this gleaming gem and you're reaching for the gem, not realizing you're harming everybody around you as you do it. Ah, oh, it was so good. Yeah, Felix is fun. He's completely new. I don't want to give too much away. Show, don't tell. But like sense. you've gotten the impression that he's a dangerous guy trying to eke out a living. I'm really interested in not only messing with time, because we love messing with time, a villain who's not an alien, who doesn't have special powers, who just has people and guns and will wibbly wobbly cause and effect in play. Welcome back, Jack Shear. Thank you. How did it feel playing our first return NPC on Anywhere But Now? Well, it's an honor, obviously, to be the first one to make a reappearance. Trip has been working angles this whole time, mm -hmm. and none of them have paid off. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fixer has just forced his hand. Mm -hmm. So I will be very curious to see what he does now that he's had his lot thrown in. Mm -hmm. Against mm -hmm. his will, but probably not against his desires. Bravo. I am so glad to bring back Trip and start to unfold some of the mysteries that we promised early on. You know, and not leave you waiting and dangling about them the entire season, because where's the fun in that? You know, we want to feel like we're actually getting places and learning things and accomplishing stuff. I do want to talk a little bit about messing with time. Since the 12th Doctor and Bill got separated and she spent 10 years while 12 spent half an hour trying to get to each other, I wanted to know what would that feel like in a game where time is moving at different rates for different characters. How do I get them there? What do they do? Why are they there? How is it affecting them, etc.? 
and watching Mame's passive resistance of dragging her feet every step of the way and Calamity just being, oh, this is, this is, wow. This is really something. Have you guys heard about whoops? Come on by the <laughs> shelter tonight after 16 hours of grueling labor. We'll talk about whoops. It'll be a nice time. There'll be Snackums gruel. <laughs> just lie there and listen. You know, it's very relaxing. You just, just lie on the floor and I'll just talk. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot easier for for calamity obviously because of her attitude towards hardship it's it's all good for me i mean i think being given the option to resist was important to me because i don't picture mave as being like yeah this is fine i'm good <laughs> no, no absolutely not this brings us to one of my favorite segments of afters though where we can go around robin and give each other points for highlights of the game because when mave gave the auditor their visor as an extra level of protection in the rift that was so humane that was so self-sacrificing and thoughtful that I, I could not let it go unrewarded everybody playing take a experience point for today's adventure Maeve take an extra one that was absolutely beautiful and calamity take an extra experience point for starting a new chapter in the Church of Whoops. Fixer, I have been looking forward to bringing him to an opponent who is not necessarily in the mood for a chat and, oh, let's just banter for a bit. Mm -hmm. And you did not disappoint. I love testing your characters so that you see how far, where the line is between push and shove, you know? And I hope that's fun for you as it is for me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It absolutely is. And and I do love that that sense of you hit that line where the character's motivation is so strong that even the best reason argument won't change their motivation because that is what they want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that came across really well. We're getting into some slightly murky Time Lord territory. Fixer being told, don't go looking for Trip Shine, and him looking for Trip Shine anyway. That's not a bad thing. It might not make the doctoral program council happy, but it's not a bad thing, you know? It's just gonna be bringing more cause and effect, and it's, oh, it's good stuff, consequences. <laughs> do you guys wanna give any shout outs to each other? Yes, I do. I, I really wanna give, a, like, just all the points. Um to uh, Pandora for that amazing moment of creating the cult and the way you navigated that, that is wonderful. Um, I don't really know much about the in history of the Whoopsian uh, religion, but if it has no current fictional start date, then in my head canon, this is where it starts. <laughs> you guys are bouncing all over time. It would make perfect sense for an accidental deity to have been retconned into existence by one of its own parishioners before the actual inception of the church. Yes, it, it literally started like outside of time because it was like in the divergent universe. So maybe somebody goes through that rift. I don't know. Maybe. If you need to know anything about the church, just watch everything that Calamity does because that's basically it. Nice. <laughs> Thank you though. Jack, this has been an absolute treat. I am so grateful that you came back for, for round two. Yeah, that was very good. Yeah, thank you for having me back. Uh, this is a fun group and uh, some really talented and, and gifted gamers. I have been gaming in one form or another since 1981. This is among one of the more fun groups I've been part of. Yay. 
Thank you so much, Jack. I just wanted to give a shout out to you. I really loved uh, your portrayal of just a guy who is in way over his head and has gotten more <laughs> than he's bargained for. <laughs> well, I'm pouring a lot of my own life experience into that. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I hope getting close to the rift wasn't too real for people. That was cool, actually. <laughs> Yay. No, yeah, that was uh, that was something I was gonna I was gonna give a shout out to May for because I like I'd had a, I'd had the exact same idea of giving my visor to the auditor, but it was gonna be like a complete afterthought because Calamity wanted to just stare into the rift and the visor would be in the way, so she was just gonna like hand it to him, you know. <laughs> but uh, when Maeve gave it to him, they had like it was such a tender moment that Calamity's like, I'm not gonna get in the way of that. I'll just I'll just go over here. <laughs> But um, but for the fixer, that mic drop moment that he had, I, does anyone remember what the exact wording was? Like, it was so perfect, and I've forgotten it now. Which um, moment? Yeah, there are a lot of them. <laughs> and, like, he was being pithy. The how do you feel about school moment? Because I yeah, think that was yes, my favorite that, that fixer one I moment. And that, that, was also, that was also brilliant. I deeply adored that. <laughs> oh, thank you. That was nicely done. That was nicely done. Man, I have been looking forward to messing with time with you guys and throwing you into scenarios where time mechanics will be against you for a minute. And your roles impact where the ship lands. If you'd rolled worse piloting the TARDIS, we would have landed outside of Fort Fugit, immediately outside as in, oh, let's just go grab that ship that arrived versus hiding safely away in a moderate hiding space, you know, a couple of blocks over. The same way that how you interact with Gregory and Fiona affects where you wind up working. Okay, you did okay, so you're not working in the worst place. That's great. You don't have to go stare into time right now and then fix her mouth off to Felix and like, okay, now you got to go stare into time for a while. <laughs> Which I'm so happy I took that moment to like check in with everybody before we left on that mission. Because I would be dealing, the fixer would be dealing with so much feelings of guilt otherwise, mm-hmm. having like stolen three years of their life while Nat- waiting for a trip. <laughs> Nat, we signed a waiver. <laughs> yeah, we did sign the waiver. We're good. <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. And finally, to our listeners, another great big thank you for sharing your precious time with us. If you feel it's been well spent, please share anywhere but now with your friends who are looking to enjoy themselves. Feel free to leave a like or a comment, and you can find us on Twitter at anywherebutnow with an underscore at the end, and wherever you get your podcasts. For all of us, I'm Casey Jones. Thanks so much, and have a great day. (laughs) 